Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's edition of the One Million by One Million podcast. We are here today with Bridge Vasin from Red Bright Partners. Red Bright is a uh, firm working in India, and we are going to focus today's discussion on the trends and activities in the Indian marketplace and uh, learn from Bridge what he is seeing, what his firm is doing, and so forth. So, Bridge, welcome. Thank you, Shamla. Thank you for having me. Tell us about your investing focus. How big is the fund? What size investments do you make? Let's familiarize our audience with your activities. Sure. Um, so, Redrive Partners is a Japanese venture capital fund. Uh, we started investing in India about three years back. That's when I came on board uh, to lead their investments uh, in the India market and also to manage their portfolio here locally and based in Bangalore. We are seed to series A stage fund, so we invest anywhere between half a million to 1.5 million USD, and uh, typically invest in companies that are at least uh, a proof of concept uh, and are now looking to scale and experiment further before raising growth capital. Um, we have two funds that we manage in India. Um, the the fund that we started with um, was a 15 million dollar fund, one five. Uh, mm -hmm. and out of which we've done eight investments. And most of these have been focused on the internet economy businesses, right? So things like e-commerce, consumer internet, uh, consumer healthcare, uh, logistics to support e-commerce, uh, things like that. And uh, our second fund, uh, which we have just launched, is uh, deep tech focused. So we're mm -hmm. investing in companies that are building um, specific IP-based tech uh, for across the world. Uh, use cases. Right? Um, okay. The fund size, uh, as in when we close it, would remain about the same, about 15 million again, uh, bringing our total commitment uh, to the India market from Japan to be about 30 million dollars. Okay. And when you say uh, seed, you said you like the proof of concept to already in, be in place. What do you look for in terms of customer validation and, you know, what level of validation are you looking for before you're willing to come in? Are you looking for revenues? Are you looking for paying customers? What What is the sweet spot? Sure, sure. So um, I would say that it varies by industry. So for example, if you are building something in the consumer internet space and uh, you're building a mobile app or a gaming company um, and you have built a certain amount of offline scale, you have um, you know, X amount of downloads, um, you, know, you have good retention, but you haven't really started monetizing, um, we would still consider that company uh, from an investment standpoint but because you can actually show a very engaged user base. Right? Mm -hmm. um, but if you're building the same e-commerce uh, marketplace, uh, we want to see some transactions, right? Because the idea is that you know, do you have enough liquidity in the marketplace? Do you have buyers and sellers? Are they are they transacting? What is the take rate and things like that? And maybe at a small level. Um, and then if you move on to something more specialized, so let's say um, you know you're building uh, a deep tech product in computer vision or chip design or uh, something of that nature, where 
the product um, building and gestation time is a lot longer, where your POC uh, itself requires um, you know, uh, significant capital and a significant team. Um, we work with the, uh, those type of companies even from day zero, right? So we will give them a little bit of money, maybe help the founders apply for patents, maybe help them build an advisory base, and then go ahead and um, you know, um, help them kind of raise larger amounts of money to build uh, a full POC that they can take, the, take to market with. Okay. And uh, what about geography? Are you focused on just the big cities in India? How do you think about it or any particular uh, city in India? Um, so till now, uh, out of the 10 investments that we've made, um, majority of them are based in Bangalore. So seven of them are in Bangalore. Uh, one uh, is in Mumbai and uh, two are based in uh, uh, NCR uh, around uh, the Delhi uh, ecosystem. Um, mm-hmm. We have looked at companies in, in smaller cities as well. It, you know, it somehow it just, just turned out that we haven't made any investments, but we're definitely open to uh, considering uh, teams that are building, uh, especially teams that are building solutions for tier three, four towns in India, um, you know, uh, bringing access um, to digital content, the digital services for the wider India population. Okay. So talk about your current portfolio. You said you've made 10 investments. Um, Tell us a bit about what you've invested in. And in particular, let's start with, um, you know, let's focus on a company or two that have, that are scaling well. So has anything Mm -hmm. crossed like the $5 million revenue mark, annual revenue mark? Um, okay, sure. So uh, let me give you a few few examples of companies that have uh, started scaling in a significant way. Um, yeah. We've, in, we've invested in a company called Let's Transport. It's a mm-hmm. last mile logistics marketplace for small trucks. So essentially in India, you know, the cities are quite congested and you have these smaller size trucks uh, that are used for local deliveries. Um, and, um, you know, we have a sort of a... a a closed marketplace, a curated managed marketplace for corporates and uh, um, companies of various nature uh, to essentially uh, avail the logistic services from these truck drivers. Right. So we work mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. Um, companies like FMCG, companies like Coke and Bisleri, with retail companies sure. like Metro AG, uh, e-commerce companies like Flipkart and others. Um, so um, uh, Let Transport has now built a significant uh, scale on the business. Um, you know, we've uh, we've crossed uh, uh, more than six million ARR in in revenue and and continue to scale the business further. Um, similarly, we have a, a company um, called Medica Bazaar. You said Bazaar. ARR, it's a marketplace model, but you you do subscription. Uh, no, so I'm, I'm I was talking about the the revenue run rate, right? So we're we're doing above of. Uh, I see. Uh, 500k on a monthly basis from a revenue run rate standpoint. I see, I see. Um, So the ARR terminology is is a bit uh, confusing in that case because typically it's annual recurring revenue in the subscription business. So you're using it as revenue run rate, okay? Fair enough. And and that's Um, the model, that's the gross um, transaction uh, level is at above 6 million. What the business model is what, 20% of the... Growth? 
Uh, yeah, so there, there is um, sort of a different uh, revenue model we have on the margin basis uh, for depending on the client and depending on the space uh, and the city. Um, so there is a net take rate that would be uh, as part of uh, a smaller part, of course, of this uh, GMV, sort of the transaction mm-hmm. value. Okay. So that one's scaling well. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a company called DocSap, uh, which is a telemedicine startup. Um, mm-hmm. So they essentially provide online doctor consultation um, through mobile app. Um, you can connect with doctors and um, you know get a, a, a consult with a specialist doctor within 30 minutes. Um, so they are currently at a stage where they're doing about uh, uh, let's see, about 1,500 or so consultations per day. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, just to give you a context, the largest hospital chain in India does about 10,000 uh, consults a day because the healthcare mm-hmm. market in India is still quite fragmented. Um, so the goal is to kind of catch up to being uh, one of the largest uh, aggregators of uh, um, you know doctor consultation in telemedicine services. And how does that work? Is it something that... Uh... It's, is it a federated model where you have doctors from different places who do a kind of moonlighting into your service, or are, do you have a dedicated team of doctors in a call center who are who are manning your calls? No, so the, all the doctors are consultants. Um, they we work with them on a uh, sort of a managed marketplace model again, where you know mm-hmm. uh, we have curated these doctors, brought them on board. Uh, they give us specific time commitments of you know time slots uh, during the week, yep. and then they, they're available during those time slots to uh, take the call or the chat-based consults and others. Okay, and uh, what kind of scale is this at uh, in terms of revenue? So I wouldn't be able to share the revenue numbers for this company, okay. but um, you know, just to give you a sense, um, you know, they recently raised about uh, seven million dollars uh, in their Series A fundraise uh, from uh, Bechtemer and a couple of other um, Japanese VCs. Okay. The reason I'm asking is that um, we do cover, uh, you know, you must be familiar with our Entrepreneur Journey series where we cover companies that have crossed a $5 million revenue threshold. So if any of your companies have done that, you're welcome to refer them to us and we'll be happy to do, you know, very in-depth stories about them. Sure, sure. So um, in the last, let's say, 12 to 18 months, what trends do you see in your deal flow? What are the highlights of the... Indian startup trend flow. Okay, so uh, you know, in the 2015 and 16 timeframe where there was a lot of activity and investment uh, in the India market, I think uh, the broader consensus was around the investing in uh, consumer-centric um, businesses. So these were uh, consumer services and products and digital services uh, companies. Um, over the last year, I think there has been um, somewhat of a focus shift uh, more towards B2B startups. So these could be either B2B marketplaces or B2B SaaS software, enterprise tech, uh, and deep tech sort of businesses. So I think uh, definitely from a 2017 uh, onwards standpoint, uh, um, there, there has been more of an investment interest in these areas. And what is, what is that telling us? In that shift is it happening because the B2C companies are not scaling or are in are, are investors not interested in funding them they're more interested in funding the global 
uh, SaaS model? What, what is what is the what is the takeaway from this shift? So I think there are a couple of ways to look at it. Um, uh, and again, this is a personal opinion from one investor. Uh, I, I wouldn't be able to speak for all uh, my peers. Um, so one aspect of it is that there has been significant funding that has gone into uh, consumer businesses. And um, you know, the idea is to let those uh, uh, companies play out in the market, see what is working, what is not, and then uh, sort of revisit um, consumer businesses uh, from uh, the next wave standpoint, right? So, like, you know, for example, now the next interest level is into companies that are building for more of the smaller towns, not necessarily for the uh, urban consumer. Uh, but mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean that, um, you know, because of a quote-unquote slowdown, on consumer B2B has picked up. I think B2B uh, businesses and investments have have their own sort of thesis and investment uh, cycles. Uh, so we are seeing more and more uh, specialists, um, you know, uh, the talent that is coming out of uh, large uh, tech companies um, uh, that have their bases in India, you know, uh, companies like NVIDIA and Google and Qualcomm and others where um, uh, you know, senior engineers are coming out and starting, um, you know, globally competitive products and having the experience and technological depth to actually be uh, competitive globally, right? And then this also yeah. plays into the movement uh, from a technology standpoint of how AI and ML is coming into every, uh, uh, you know, every different uh, industry vertical and every different product matrices. So I think those trends kind of combine uh, together for uh, like a broader wave, uh, and, and that's how I would like to uh, position it. There's no, you know, a single reason why these things happen. So there's one uh, point that I want to double-click down on and and, uh, listen to what you see in your deal flow. So Mm -hmm. most of the VCs operating in India have come to the conclusion that if it's to do with deep tech, SaaS, etc., they have to go after the global market. The Indian uh, B2B market is very slow moving. Is that Mm -hmm. reflected in your deal flow? Uh, absolutely. So, um, you know, while our portfolio companies uh, are uh, selling to Indian corporates and Indian customers, uh, what our realization has been, uh, and, and, you know, this is across three or four companies, especially building uh, tech-focused or deep tech products, you know, right from big data analytics to computer vision and others, is that uh, they, the, the, first of all, the sales cycles in India are much longer. You know, there, there yeah. is a fair bit of... Uh, customer education that you have to do to kind of uh, explain the concept and, and bring the product in and do the POCs and things like that. Um, and the second challenge is that the paying capacity for customers in India is still limited. So, you know, you're putting almost the same amount of effort for a customer that you would sell to in India versus one you would sell to in, let's say, Singapore or Japan. And, um, you know, you're, you're getting significantly less um, uh, dollars for, for the same amount of effort and the same amount of technology capability. Um, so I think companies then naturally incline towards diversifying their geographical uh, focus 
uh, after maybe a few clients uh, uh, domestically. Right? So we, for example, in our yeah. own portfolio, we're helping our companies scale in uh, Singapore and Japan. Right? We're introducing them to a larger network in, in these markets and um, you know, get validation and, and mature their products in, in these markets. That wouldn't mean that you know, we would want to let go of the India market. It's just that perhaps uh, the India market makes more sense when companies have already built a certain level of scale. Yeah, yeah. And what about exits? How do you view the exit situation in India? Um, you know, honestly, the, that is one thing that continues to remain a challenge. Um, you know, we have not had a big influx of uh, corporates and strategics coming in and buying companies at various stages in India. Um, the silver lining, uh, of course, around that is that, um, you know, um, there have been very large investments in later stage Indian uh, startups. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you've obviously heard of the Flipkarts and PTMs and Olas of the world, uh, where there have been secondary sales uh, through SoftBank and other hedge funds. And this has brought in some liquidity to early stage investors and angels, uh, which has then in turn fueled um, you know, the, the early stage uh, funding ecosystem at the very least. Right? Um, and on the other hand, you have, uh, uh, let's say, the American funds like Matrix and Sequoia and Axel, they continue to work to bring uh, various different types of uh, strategics to do buyouts. Uh, there have been a few of them over the last, uh, let's say, year or two, uh, but again, there is a lot of work for uh, us to give meaningful returns to our LPs uh, across uh, various portfolios. How much money do you estimate is slushing around in India right now? I mean, if you if you just think of uh, the top uh, five or six big funds, each of them, you know, having uh, at the very least uh, a few hundred million uh, AUM, um, some even bigger, like in Sequoia, probably is touching a billion. Um, you know, we're talking about significant money, right? In in, in Marquee DC funds itself, not even counting uh, the likes of SoftBank who who are putting in a couple of billion each. Right? Um, so, right. you know, you could safely assume there is at least a couple of billion of uh, VC money uh, that is still committed towards India and uh, has at least uh, some level of long-term commitment um, over the coming uh, couple of years or half a decade. Yeah. So the, for the, you know, the SaaS and the deep tech stuff that is, pursuing the global market, I think the trajectory is going to be most people are going to set up shop in you know, Silicon Valley or in, at least in, in the U.S. and seek exits in the U.S. market. Um, but the India facing B2C is, doesn't have that option. The India seeking B2, uh, facing B2C will need to find exits in India. Um, of course. That, that one is a bit complicated and, and tricky. So let's see how that plays out. Now, um, how do you view the early stage ecosystem? So in, in the US, for instance, right now, every year there are, I would say probably starting 2013, um, there have been 70,000, 50 to 70,000 seed investments. And we have now in the last five years, we've probably come to 500 to 600 micro VCs who are um, investing in that stage. And then by that stage, I mean pre-series A, which could include 
pre-seed, seed, post-seed, pre-series A, small series A. It's like a, you know, the, the, what we can broadly call early stage investment. But the VC funding still remains very steady. It's only about 1,200 to 1,500. Um, so there is a very, very large series A gap. What, is, what are the numbers in India? Has anybody done any study on, on what, is, what are the numbers in India? Um, so I wouldn't be able to, uh, I mean, uh, to share share numbers uh, right off the top of my head. But I think, um, you know, in terms of the broader trends, um, India is probably like a microcosm of how the U.S. market has evolved in terms of micro VCs entering, uh, and there be there being a lot of money available pre-Series A, both from angel syndicates to uh, uh, domestic micro VC funds to foreign micro VC funds in India. Um, including uh, the government now, uh, the government of India actually now has uh, started a fund of fund, uh, which is investing into India-based uh, domestic funds, right? So that has also led yeah. to a whole wave of uh, uh, India-based, uh, what we call AIFs, uh, alternative investment funds, uh, that have come out uh, over the last uh, year or two. Um, so I think uh, for uh, a good team building an interesting idea and executing well, um, there is uh, enough money available at the seed and angel stage to at least try to prove out uh, their uh, concept uh, to a certain stage. Right? But um, when it comes to series A and B and further, uh, the bar tends to get set up really high. Uh, so there is a Very big high, center yeah. that builds. And that big filter is actually starting to already come in. Uh, we started seeing that in 2017. We'll see more of that in 18 and 19. Um, because as these new uh, domestic funds start to deploy and their portfolio companies start to hit the Series A wall, um, we will see more um, sort of uh, uh, you know cleaning up or consolidation of um, the, the boom on the early stage startups, right? Um, yeah. That said, you know, um, I, I, what we discussed just a little bit earlier, there, there is though uh, a lot of money available at A or B. It's just that, you know, VCs at that stage are also being very selective, uh, having sort of burnt their hands a little bit uh, during the boom uh, years of 15 yeah. and 16, where, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, sort of uh, these one to two million dollar investments, right? So they're not really seed by India standards, and they're not really a full Series A, if you know what I mean. And um, so a lot of those companies didn't really take off, and now those are being consolidated in the market, right? So um, interesting trends uh, playing out, but yeah, by and large following the global trends uh, at the same time. You know, my um, assessment, and this is true both in India as well as uh, in the U.S. also, I think, is going to play out this way, is that uh, there's going to be two uh, different uh, categories of investors who are going to be playing very differently. Um, there is the, you know, the early stage, which includes all the way until pre-Series A or small Series A, the one to two million Series A. That's, um, you know, pre-seed all the way to small Series A is going to be one class of investors, and then the the real series A, B, that's going to be a whole different class of investors. And I think the, the people, the micro VCs who help a, a, an entrepreneur go all the way to a real series A, um, 
this could be three, four rounds of financing before you are ready for a full Series A. And I think at that point, mm-hmm. some of the early investors will need to exit because it, if it takes a while, if it takes four years, let's say, or five years mm-hmm. to be ready for a full mm-hmm. Series A, you're effectively helping these uh, companies traverse their bootstrapping phase with small amounts mm-hmm. of financing. And then I think mm-hmm. the, the logical logical way would be to for these funds to exit when you know maybe either in the true series a or in series b they will start exiting because uh, otherwise the venture timelines are not going to line up uh, while that is really uh, might, might be true uh, uh, getting an exit is not really always in their hands right so it depends on what the capital needs of their portfolio is so if they uh, if the companies have had to go through two or three rounds uh, to really prove it out and, and go for a larger growth round of Series A, unless they are uh, oversubscribed on their own, um, the next uh, round investors may not be willing uh, to give secondary exits or at least this is also very true. A good price. Yeah. Very so if true. they're not very getting true. a good price. Uh, and good appreciation on on their investments, they then they have no choice but to stick around for a little bit longer. Um, I think at least from a foreign VC fund standpoint, there is some uh, implicit understanding that you know a, a large part of the portfolio will take a little bit longer uh, because the the market itself uh, is going through a market building phase, and some of these experiments definitely take longer. Uh, but at the same time, there has to be some sort of a balancing between the portfolio where you tend to pick your bets on which are the companies that you want to go and uh, back multiple times over and which are the ones that you know you definitely want to bring outside money in. Otherwise, it's not viable to run that company anymore. So, uh, you know, one of my observations along these lines, just to take this thought process further, is that we are in January 2018, right? Lots of stuff have already been built, um, and especially mm-hmm. in B2B. Nowadays, there aren't so many wide open opportunities out there. Like you cannot really build a Salesforce.com today mm-hmm. because it's already there, and and the the tentacles are very deep and very wide. But there are many mm-hmm. niche opportunities, and some of these businesses need to be built for very small amounts of capital, one or two million dollars, maybe sold for ten to fifteen million. Um, maybe even a much smaller 250k, 250k to 500k investment, sell for five, five to ten million dollars. Maybe a little larger. Maybe invest two to five million and sell for, you know, 25, 30, 40 million. I think India can have a real sweet spot in this category because there are, you know, if you look at the um, SaaS market, the latest stage SaaS market, there are tons of companies. Uh, that are that are scaled nicely. You know, there are a lot of 70, 100, 150, 200 million dollar SaaS companies that are looking to grow, and they are they may have grown on top of one product line, and they will as to be successful in the public market. They cannot be one trick ponies. They're going to need you know five other product lines to be able to generate fast paced growth. This is a, a market opportunity into which India should play really hard. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I, I think I mean, we'll see it, how it, it plays out, sense. but I think yeah. Yeah. How do you parse unicorn mania? India went a bit nuts following the <laughs> Silicon Valley for a little while. How do you how do you see that at the moment? From an India market perspective? Yeah. 
Um, so, um, you know, that was the, the big uh, sort of push that happened in 2015 and 16, where uh, there was sort of a rush to help companies scale as quickly as possible uh, to get them uh, into the unicorn club, and, and a lot of money was raised. Um, but, um, you know, at the same time, um, when you have too much money, there, there sometimes isn't as much focus on building strong fundamentals and foundations. Um, and uh, the reality is the India market uh, has a lot of sort of base issues, the base layer issues that are not fully solved uh, the way they are in, um, you know, developed markets. So those issues do take time uh, for any type of a company to solve them. Uh, and you generally cannot just put money behind it and, and, and you know, just That's more right. money will not solve it in faster time frame, right? Um, no, so I think um, the, the companies that were smart, uh, conserved capital, continue to solve these foundational problems and are now starting to sort of uh, scale up and maybe we'll have a couple of unicorns now come up uh, over the year or two. Uh, but at the same time, there have been companies that, um, you know, weren't so capital efficient uh, and, you know, will now be struggling, right? So uh, I think uh, from an India market perspective, there has to be some sort of a rationalization on what time frame we expect uh, for companies to uh, reach unicorn and, let's say, hold on to unicorn status. Yeah, and I think, uh, if, frankly, it's unnecessary to focus on this unicorn as a goal. I think what, what the Indian market needs to focus on is a healthy entrepreneurial environment with good you know, investment at every stage um, and, and good exits. That's the, that's the nut that needs to be cracked rather than building a lot of unicorns, artificially bloated up unicorns. But, but you have to put it in the context of the type of investment funds that are investing, right? So, um, you know, for a micro fund, um, yeah, maybe a fifty hundred million dollar exit uh, still moves the needle significantly. Uh, but if you are a marquee global VC fund with you know half a billion or a billion uh, uh, to be deployed in India, you need a couple of companies to go up two or three billion in market cap. Uh, otherwise, you'll just not be able to make enough to uh, account for the companies that didn't work out, right? And then you have your IRR targets uh, to make up for as well because um, you have a longer gestation period to really see realized returns. So all of well, those I things think, uh, essentially play into the decisions, right? Yeah, well, I think the, the global deep tech stuff is going to to seek that unicorn-style company building uh, in the U.S. I think the people are going to build to a certain point, get enough validation, get you know, customer traction, and then uh, just like Dhruva has done, just like Freshdesk has done, these are companies that are scaling internationally, and, and they're scaling nicely. These are companies that do have legitimate shot at being unicorn companies. Um, so I think on the B2B side, this is going to, Take it's going to use India's deep bridge with Silicon Valley and 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 do a uh, do their exits and so forth out here. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's the um, the consumer market which is a bit complicated. I don't know if you read the Economist expose uh, last week actually about the Indian market and and how the Indian middle class is actually uh, really non-existent uh, in the sense mm -hmm. that we keep seeing presentations of like this billion, uh, you know, some 
population and this 300 million Indian middle class, the truth is the Indian middle class is actually very small. You know, the entire Indian market that actually transacts, actually buys things online and, and so forth, is a very small market. So it's, it's you know, maybe 50 million people. And that is equivalent to more of the, you know, smaller European countries. It's not even, you know, it's not 50 million people, uh, you know, and, and a slow rate of commerce actually within within that zone. So that's, that's these are not the countries that are you know churning out unicorns every day. These are they produce unicorns once in a while. And I think that's that's the rationalization that need that people need to come to terms with is that we have to walk before we run. You know, so honestly, I would like to differ an opinion on that. Um, you know, we've had uh, this uh, for a long time uh, where we have Western media organizations like The Economist and New York Times coming up with statistics and studies and trying to educate us in India on what really is the size of the market and how it is working or why it is not working and anecdotal evidence that KPCB reports put in and, and you know, whether they're exciting or not exciting. What we are really seeing on the, on the ground is how the public in India um, in, in the larger uh, population is using these services, right? And then how they're spending, and we have our own data points in terms of how um, the digital consumption uh, of data and content is uh, blowing up in India. Uh, we have data around how digital services are being bought, brought, uh, bought across the country from the smallest of the towns and the villages. And, um, you know, we don't necessarily have to go with just macro uh, income numbers that the economists uh, kind of companies pull out from government reports, right? Um, the, so, the no, it's not government reports at all. It's please, actually... No, 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 please, no, let no, me no, complete. No, please, let me complete. Um, so, we, we, we do have uh, almost 400 million smartphones today. Um, uh, Reliance Geo's uh, data plans have exponentially grown content consumption in India, right? So the consumer internet, the consumer story in India is still extremely strong. Yes, the monetization aspect of it is something that is catching up and that has to catch up. When I'm talking about even healthcare services, when the company... But the monetization is what builds businesses, right? Usage doesn't build businesses. And, and you're absolutely so right, the usage in India is huge. For how many years did Facebook build its business before it started monetizing? Facebook has started monetizing right from the beginning. If you, there is actually an article that I wrote about how Mark Zuckerberg preserved so much equity in the company. You may want to read that to understand what were the different rounds of financing at what kind of monetization levels. But let me address, actually, since you bring up Facebook, Facebook's India revenue with 240 million users is $50 million annual, which is minuscule and very disappointing for the company. So, so the Economist article, if you haven't read it, you should read it. It is not at all based on government data. It's based on these kinds of numbers. They have gone and talked to Facebook so and so forth. Why, why do companies like Facebook and Google continue to invest significant amounts of capital in it? Well, I think the, everybody's, in the last decade, everybody's hypothesis was that Indian market will monetize. And, and I think the, um, the adoption of digital services has been good but the monetization levels has not really kept up pace, which makes, which makes the unit economics very difficult. And, so then and why would the, a Google the spend the money? So then why Sorry? would a Google be spending, um, you know, bandwidth resources for 222 million Indian users to consume YouTube videos? 
Well, that's, they are all investing. I think Amazon is investing with the assumption that at some point these numbers are going to rationalize. And, and that is fine. So if, they if, can't afford to do that. So global, yeah. So they can afford to do that because these are incredibly profitable companies. Amazon, Facebook, Amazon used to not be profitable, but they have access to huge amounts of capital. Now they are even profitable, and they have access to huge, huge amounts of capital. Google is incredibly profitable. Facebook is quite profitable. So these are companies they can invest. But for a, from a venture capital point of view, um, you know, again, there are a few VCs that are also taking that point of view. SoftBank is taking that point of view is that, okay, we'll play the long game, and invest in companies that just, you know, even if the unit economics are poor now, in, in due course, in the next 10 years, the unit economics are going to rationalize. And when, it, when they do, we are going to be well positioned. But not that many uh, investors can play that game because investors are tasked with making money for their limited partners in seven years. SoftBank has a very different You structure. kind of answered your question yourself, right? I mean, if there are investors downstream that are willing to play this long-term horizon game and are willing to invest money to help the leading uh, I didn't answer my question. Very few investors have that capacity. Well, you, very few investors you have that capacity. You investors. You need three of them to put a significant amount of capital for a flip card to be able to compete with an Amazon. Yeah, but that's one Flipkart. That's just one company. If you want and, a thriving uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem, one, one winner is not going to do it. The U.S. has one Amazon. Yeah, but numerous successful e-commerce companies. It has one Amazon, but numerous successful public or you know later stage e-commerce companies. It has numerous. It has one Salesforce.com, but numerous SaaS companies. But don't you think that you know there, there is a bit of a uh, you know uh, a mismatched expectation that India has to achieve certain things at a certain time scale when the developed markets have of, taken their own time and their own market corrections to achieve those things? No, it's not a question of expectations. I think it's creating some issues. I think the lack of exit issue is is problematic. You know, I, I mean, I talk to a lot of in, investors who are in India right now, and and. Some of them are scratching their heads because they can't get exits. And, and, you know, these are funds that have been in the market for large funds that have been in the market for 10 years, and, and they have a lot of money in the ground, and they cannot get exits. And, and I can assure you, these are people that are very frustrated right now. So I'm, I'm not – it's not a question of expectations. The question, it's, it's hard money game, right? At some point, people who put money in need their money out. I completely agree with you. And I started this discussion accepting the fact that exit is a challenge in India. Yeah. For even for companies like Flipkart and PTM. I think if India can crack the exit game, right? everything uh, is going to move much smoother. Of course, it, that's the rational outcome, right? I mean, that's exactly what everyone's working towards. But the time and pace and ways will happen is not something that we have anticipated at the moment. Yeah. All right. Any parting comments that you would like to uh, provide for our entrepreneurs who may want to work with you? 
Um, you know, uh, I'm very excited to work with uh, entrepreneurs in various different spaces, uh, especially um, those uh, founders who are working to solve the hard problems in India. Um, you know, we um, uh, so I would say that there are two broader themes that we work with: um, companies that are uh, solving uh, the base challenges in India. You know, um, let's say logistics, healthcare. Um, you know, uh, uh, transaction economics in, in various sort of markets, and how do you streamline them, make them more efficient, provide broader access and distribution uh, to Indians across different uh, value segments. Uh, and on the other side, uh, we are really excited to work with uh, founders who have deep domain knowledge, um, you know, technical expertise in, in specific markets, and uh, are. Um, you know, building products that they're uh, excited about of selling across the world, right? So they want to build globally competitive intellectual property um, sitting out of engineering offices in India and uh, want access and help to uh, global markets. So that's the other set of uh, founders and entrepreneurs that we really excited to work with. Terrific. All right. Well, thank you very much, Brits. That was very interesting yeah. uh, discussion. Yeah. And... Um, yeah. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed the segment today, and we'll be back here uh, with another edition. In the meantime, stop by at one of our free public roundtables, and um, come, let's work on your business, and uh, we will see you soon. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me.